Tonight in our study, we continue in Luke. And tonight, Luke is going to continue to verify that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Christ. Tonight, we're going to look at two witnesses. And then next week, we will continue and look at chapter 4. And uh, Brother Dan will be leading us in that study next week. Does anyone still need, would anyone like a copy of tonight's study? The ones on the back are for next week, but I've got a few of them left, so please get one of those. And then tonight, we're going to need some help with reading Scripture so that you can hear it, but hopefully we can keep our Bible study moving so that we have time for prayer at the end. And am I giving you wrong ones to hand out, or you're just comparing? Okay. Luke 3. Would someone like to read Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26 for us? Daniel chapter 9. Okay, Cindy, in just a little bit I'll have you read that for me. As we look at as we look at the first two verses together, notice it says, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of the Lord came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Now we're going to see two witnesses tonight. The first, well, we could say three, but we're going to see two accounts of witnesses. The first account is of John the Baptist, and he describes when he came. When John appeared on the scene, it had been nearly 400 years since there had been any prophetic witness and this passage is going to list, there are going to be seven key figures that are listed here. But first of all, just listen to Daniel chapter 9 because he's talking about a certain timing. So this is Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Okay, so you notice what he's describing? Daniel gives us this incredible road map. He says, there is going to be, from the time of the return, there's going to be 69 weeks. These 69 weeks are so clearly laid out, he says, the city is going to be rebuilt. The streets are going to be available again. The temple's going to be rebuilt. But it's not going to be during peaceful, happy times. It's going to be during troubled times. And the Messiah is going to be cut off. And once the Messiah is cut off, then the temple's going to be destroyed, 
and it will, it will make it to where they, there is no return for them. And Daniel is so clear in saying, look, here's going to be when the Messiah comes. God wants us, he wanted everyone to know the Messiah is here. He laid it out in a roadmap for us in the Old Testament. Their study was entitled, The Lord is Come. Now it is a Savior is, well, we, it was a Savior is born. The message I preached two weeks ago was on uh, a Savior is born. Now we're looking at a Savior is here. And what I want you to see is now we've gone in Luke chapter 2 from him as a uh, baby, as a child, as a teenager, and then we have this gap of years. Now let's look at our, our first study question. What key people are named in the first two verses? And then the bonus question, if anybody wanted to tackle it, was what do you know about these people? So let's just take one person at a time, and then if anybody has anything that they researched or anyone has anything that they would like to say about that person, we'll do it as we go through them. So who's the first person that is mentioned that was uh, a key person that was ruling at this time? Tiberius Caesar. Did anyone do any background on that? Anyone want to tell me a little bit about that person? Well, here's what's going to be interesting. Augustus died on uh, August 19th of AD 14. The 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar was August of 28. So here's the difference. You were thinking of um, Caesar the Great, and what we're looking at here was um, there was him, then his son, then Tiberius Caesar, and he was the one who reigned until A.D. 28. So just to kind of give you an idea, he's giving us a pretty tight slice. So he reigned from August of 14 through August of 28. So 14 years. So this wasn't the one when Jesus was born. They were, they were going through rulers. Who's the next person that it mentions? Pontius Pilate. Anybody got any background you want to give on him? Pontius Pilate, it says, being governor of Judea. Now, Judea was part of the region assigned to Herod the Great. Judea is part of the region assigned by Herod to the Great, uh, to Archelaus. Archelaus ruled so badly that his subjects petitioned the Romans to remove him, and they did, and they installed their own governor in AD 6. Pilate held this office from 26 to 36. Now you've got this really tight slice. The first one we know ended his rule in AD 28. This one didn't begin his rule until 26. And this guy was in control at that point. Now, it seems a little tedious, but it's important because do you see how these seven key figures, we're going to begin to see these guys plug in a very specific time in history. They're not just names that we would wave off. These are, these are names that are well known in the history books. 
The next one is Herod um, being Tetrarch of Galilee. So here we have, uh, this Herod is Herod Antipas, and he's the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great uh, died in 4 BC. So he became, uh, Herod Antipas became the ruler in 4 BC, and he held the office till AD 39. Once again, what does that tell us? Every one of these men, everything very clearly lines up. These are the guys that were all alive in the same time that we know Jesus Christ was alive. Um, Herod Antipas's brother, Philip Tetrarch of Iturea, uh, he ruled this uh, tetrarchy from 4 B.C. through 33. And then we have Lysanias, the Tetrarch, and I really couldn't find out anything about him. I don't know. As I looked him up, uh, there were some guesses, but really nothing was known about him. Then we have, in verse 2, you notice the next two guys that are listed, Annas and Caiaphas. Now, not Ananias. That would put you into Acts chapter 5, the one that was struck dead. This is Annas. Annas was a high priest. Both of them were high priest. Annas was high priest from 6, from AD 6 through AD 15. And you notice the text is pretty clear. It says Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests. So now when was Caiaphas the high priest? Annas was high priest from 6 to 15, and then he was deposed. Five of his sons became high priest in due course, and Caiaphas, who held the office from 18 to 36, was his son-in-law. And what's interesting is, though Caiaphas was actually the one in office, Annas was the one who was exercising the control. And that's the reason why you see both of them were listed. In fact, when Jesus is crucified, where do they take him first? They take him to Annas, and then they take him to Caiaphas. And the last one that's listed there is John the Baptist. So we're going to find a couple different things. First of all, look at how he came. Look what he was resembling. Would someone be willing to look up Luke 1.17 for us? All right, Micah. All right, how about Matthew 3.4? All right, Luke. 2 Kings 1.8. Okay, let's start with Micah. Luke one seventeen, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Great, thank you. And how about Matthew three four? And the same John had his garment, his garment of camel's hair, and the leathering. Uh huh. Great. It means he had a leather belt, is what that means. Second Kings one eight. Um, and they answered him, he was a hairy man and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins, and he said, 
Okay, so what Twyla just told us was, here was what Elijah looked like. Now, think about the other two verses that were read for us. What did John the Baptist come dressed like? He came looking just like Elijah. Now, he wouldn't have had to dress like Elijah for people to recognize him because you look at the message that he had. But once again, what does God want us to know? The Messiah has come. As you look at the text, and, and we read this, and I think because, at least from my vantage point, I have heard this since I was little. I've been in church all my life. It's so easy to take all these things for granted. But the reality is, I want you to see what a, what a compassionate God we have. He keeps saying, let me make this really clear. How much more clear could I make this? This is the Messiah. And you've got John the Baptist, who is a witness of that. So let's look and see in verses 3 through 9, what was the purpose for John's life? What was the point of John's preaching? Look at verse 3. And he came into all the country of Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now I'm not going to read the next verse. I want you to look at the next verse. What was the purpose for John's life? Look at verse 4. What does he tell us? Luke? To prepare the way of the Lord. That was his focus. That was his purpose for living. And what was the main point of John's preaching? Repentance. He came and had the baptism of repentance. Now, I want you to think about that for a little bit, and in a moment, we're going to come back, and we're going to ask, why would Jesus need to be baptized with the baptism of repentance? Because he was baptized by John. So just keep that in the back of your mind. So John came, how he came? He came resembling Elijah. He came near the Jordan River because he was preaching and baptizing, and he announced the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 3, verse 3. Would someone like to read that for us? Matthew chapter 3, verse 3. So as you think about this, again, Matthew was reminding us this is the one that was prophesied. There's going to be a forerunner. There's going to be someone who comes before the Messiah. John the Baptist was the one. So centuries before, Israel as a nation had crossed through this Red Sea. There had been this national baptism for them as they came through. John comes back to the Jordan, and John now is saying, it's time for the baptism of repentance. God was summoning the nation to turn from their sin and to come to the spiritual kingdom. He came warning, and he came preaching good news. Look at verse 18 with me. 
says, and many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. Now, the interesting part of that is the word preached is the idea of to evangelize, to preach the good news. John came preaching the good news that the Messiah was here. Notice, beginning at verse 4, why he came. And specifically, who would like to look up John 1, 29? Okay, Brother Doug. They had just gone through and they were questioning John. And they were saying, John, are you this person? Are you this person? Are you this person? And he says, no, I want you to notice there's the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I think these are important verses for us because as a church, as individuals, as we go out into the community, we need to be very comfortable to be able to say, let me show you why I know this is the Messiah. I mean, we know that. We talk about it. But how comfortable are we to just be able to take the scriptures and say, I want you to see this. Luke chapter 1 tells you he's coming. Luke chapter 2 tells you he's here. Luke chapter 3 shows you as an adult, this is the one because look, here's John the Baptist. He's witnessing to the fact that he is the Messiah. Interestingly, look at verse 9 with me. John is going to compare all these uh, religious leaders to useless trees. He said, And now also the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree therewith which bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Then in verse 17, he's talking about Jesus Christ, and he says, Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. John talks about a Messiah who's coming. He talks about the fact that religion is useless. And the people who don't demonstrate that they are truly God's people, they're going to be chopped down and cut into and thrown into the fire because they're worthless. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in your garage makes you a car. It just doesn't work. So John is describing, he says, some of you, you are just religious sinners. In Romans chapter 4, would anyone like to read verse 13 for us? Romans chapter 4, verse 13. Excellent. There was a longer passage that I would have had you read, but I, I had her just focus on the one key verse. He said, your righteousness is not through Abraham. But he said, you are saved through God's righteousness, 
So being religious, they were all saying, well, we're Jews. Therefore, obviously, we are, we are descendants of Abraham. Therefore, we are righteous before God. John, if you look back at our text tonight, look at verse 7. What does he call these people, these self-righteous sinners? He's called them useless trees. Now what does he call them? A generation of vipers. What makes the vipers come out? The heat, the fire. If you've got vipers, if you've got a snake in, the, in, your, in your brush pile, when you light it, that's the only time they're coming out. And notice what he says. He says, oh, you generation of vipers, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? There's fire coming, all right. Who's warned you guys that you would be showing up here? And he talks about a fire that was coming. Now we see he came to baptize. A unique feature of John's ministry obviously was baptism. What do we call him? John the baptizer. That was, that's not saying he was the beginning of the Baptist church line, okay? That's not what that means. He was known as John the baptizer because he did a lot of baptizing. Excellent, all right? That is exactly why he was called that. Now notice, he's telling people to prepare for the Messiah's baptism. John's baptism was looking forward to Christ's baptism, not when Christ was baptized. And that's what's interesting for us, because you start realizing, right, there was a baptism of John, and then there was a baptism of Jesus Christ. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 19 together. Acts chapter 19. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto, the, unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they had heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. What I wanted you to notice there was just the fact John was baptizing, but John was baptizing with a baptism of repentance, and that, that baptism of repentance was one that was pointing them toward Jesus Christ. He came telling them, prepare for the Messiah. There was something beyond John's baptism. That was the baptism that the Messiah would administer. Let's look ahead at verse 16 here together. John answered, saying unto them, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now here's what's interesting. I believe as you look at this, this is yet 
going back to Malachi, it's going back to the Isaiah 61 passage we've looked at a number of different times. When Jesus came the first time, did he come to judge? The answer is no. In fact, Jesus, when he read in the synagogue, you remember when we read those texts together multiple times now, Jesus went in, he read from the book of Isaiah, and he stops at judgment. He doesn't read the judgment. Why? Because he didn't come the first time for judgment. To the Jews, and in the Old Testament, remember how we talked about, you don't always see the valleys. You only see the mountain peaks. And when you look, it looks like they're close together. But in reality, there was a long period of time before Jesus' second coming when he will come to judge. John says Jesus Christ comes baptizing with two things. He's baptizing with the Holy Spirit. When a person receives Christ as their Savior, the baptism you receive is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is an immersion. He uses that term because you're totally immersed with the Holy Spirit. You get all of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing more of the Holy Spirit you need to receive. Now, in all of our lives, at least in my life, though I have all of the Holy Spirit, often he does not have all of me. Does that make sense? I go through days, and the Holy Spirit, I've got all the Holy Spirit. I'm not just operating with a part of the Holy Spirit, but there's part of my life I never allow the Holy Spirit to have. And he's saying, I'm baptizing you with a baptism of repentance. What was that baptizing demonstrating? That baptism was demonstrating that they were ready for the Messiah to come. That's what it demonstrated. It didn't make them saved when they were baptized with John. They didn't get the Holy Spirit. But it was saying, we're looking for the Messiah. We're ones that are ready for him. So, John tells them, he says, Jesus is coming. He's going to baptize you with something different. Now, he's not talking about dunking them in water. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank. I don't think I can remember Jesus Christ baptizing with water. Can any of you remember? I don't think Jesus ever baptized with water. Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit, and he will baptize with fire. There's going to come a purging that's coming. Today, the moment a sinner trusts Christ, he's baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. We could go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, and follow that. John came to teach. His whole point was he wanted to inform people. He wanted people to understand. Let's look at your third question. Luke chapter 3, verses 10 through 20. What did John's answers teach the people? Now, if you want to follow along, I'll read these. John was teaching them the importance of repentance, verse 10. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath, one, that hath none, and to him that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came the publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, 
John answered saying, and that's when he goes on and he describes, I baptize you with water, but the Messiah is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So what did John's answers teach the people? I'm not asking you to tell me what he's told them. What did the answers he gave each of the people teach the people? Any ideas on that? Anybody? Yes, I would probably, I would twist it just a little bit differently and say salvation brings change in the way one lives and treats others. When we get saved, if a person is genuinely repentant, a person who's saying, I want the Messiah, he's saying, okay, well then you're going to need to live like the Messiah's kingdom, which is what Dan was telling us. You don't do these things to become saved, but there is now a different value system that you live by. No longer are you trying to extract from people, trying to take from people, but now you realize that's not what the kingdom's about. Second question there, what did John teach about the difference between himself and Jesus Christ? And we looked at that answer before. John baptizes with water, Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Last question I'd asked you there was, what caused John to be put in jail? That's right. He pointed out that he had stolen his brother's wife, Philip's wife. It was messy in these kingdoms back then. And these were people who tried to rule with absolute power. John said, it's not legal for you to have your brother's wife. And Herod the Tetrarch, it says, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, Herod put him in jail. Do you know when you say the truth, you're not always going to be very popular? You young people just need to know you can be kind and you can be polite and you can show all the love you want, but when you speak the truth, even with all those things, now there's no reason to be nasty, but the whole point is when you walk up to someone and you say, you need to repent, the person you're living with, that's not legal. And you're speaking to the king, what's going to be the response? Go to jail. You don't get out for free. It's what it is. All right, so now let's look at the last little bit of this. We have the witness of John the Baptist, but we also have the witness of God the Father and the Spirit. Look, beginning at verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heavens was opened, and the, Holy, and the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. And Jesus began to be about thirty years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of 
Heli, and then it goes through all of those genealogical names. Question number four. What do these verses teach us about Jesus Christ? Yes. Exactly. All right. It teaches us that he was God's son, and yet he was totally human. In fact, we look at, you've answered the question of why did Jesus accept the baptism of John, and why did John not want to baptize Jesus? John knew Jesus didn't need to repent. Jesus was baptized with this baptism of repentance because he was identifying with all those other people and demonstrating his humanity. And as you look at I mean, you, you, you have to stop and you, you're, you're having to really think these things through and it's difficult and it's warm in here. But the reality is these are important truths for us. He is God's son. What else did it teach us about Jesus Christ and his relationship to the Heavenly Father? What did God say about him? One, this is my beloved son, and I'm well pleased with my son. That tells you something about Jesus Christ as a 30-year-old man. That he had lived the life which we don't hear anything about. God very quickly and easily just puts a stamp of approval and says, I'm very pleased with my son. I'm pleased with how he has lived what did society assume about Jesus at this point in his life? He was Joseph's son. There was no question in their mind about that. One other thing that I just thought was interesting in verse 21, it says that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heavens were opened. You know, Luke's the only one that says that Jesus prayed at his baptism. The only, only one that you hear of. And I would just like to have you think about this. Why would he tell us that Jesus was praying, and why would Jesus be praying at this point? And I would just submit to you, one, he was giving us a pattern of how we should live, and two, he was also demonstrating that Jesus lived his life for one purpose, and that was to bring glory to the Father. And that's our purpose. We have a sure salvation. We have a sure knowledge that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He was the Son of God. He was the Son of Man. 